Today, we are going to wrap up our sermon series through the book of Jonah. I don't know how many of you have been able to be here and listen to this series. This series has been personally very encouraging to go through the book of Jonah. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, we're going to finish this short little book up today. Um, let you know where we're going into August so you know what to look forward to. Um, next week, we're going to kind of have an opportunity to come back to our vision of a church. Uh, the vision of our church, the purpose we were planted was that we would know Christ and that we would make Christ known. And I think that's one of the things that we can never hear that enough. And so next week, we're going to have an opportunity just to get refocused on why we're here. Um, as we head into the fall, we want to make sure that we're, our priorities are straight. After that, in August, we're going to go through a four-week series on worship. Uh, going to be able to understand what worship is and how we do that. Uh, then I'm really excited in September, heading into the fall, we're going to do a, another series on the God questions. This will be a great series if you've got people who are investigating God and you know maybe some friends or some people that are just struggling with, with you, know, you know, who is this God character and, and does he really exist and, you know, why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? We're going to deal with those type of God questions. These are questions that doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not. These are questions that you ask. You know, we look at this fire. God, why do you allow this to happen? There's some good people in, that, in those apartments. And we want to deal with that question of why God allows bad things to happen to good people. We're going to look at a number of other questions, and there'll be a great series. I'm really looking forward to it. So I'm excited for where we've been through Jonah, and I'm excited for where we're going. And um, for today, we're going to be in uh, Luke chapter 11. We're in Luke chapter 11. I know you said, well, I, I said we're going to finish the book of Jonah today, and we're not in the book of Jonah. That's because last week we finished through the end of the book, but there's more to the book. There's more to Jonah than just the book, so we want to deal with that. If you don't have a Bible today and, you, and you'd like one and you need one, we've got uh, an usher in the back smiling very big. This is Mike, and he's got a Bible for you. If you need one, just put your hand up. He'd love to get that in your hand. Um, and... Um, let that be our gift to you. So we're going to look in Luke chapter 11, verses 29 to 36, and we're going to look at how Jonah, the book, relates to Jesus, and we're going to look to see what Jesus had to say about Jonah. So we're in Luke chapter 11, uh, verses 29 to 36. And it says this, When the crowds were increasing, he began to say, This generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to his generation. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand, so that those who enter may see. Your eye is the lamp of the body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of dark darkness. Therefore, be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. That's God's word for us today. Let's pray. God, we are so excited to be able to be in this building that we can come in together and we can read your word. We can open it up and we can say, God, what can you 
tell me? What can you teach me? What can you show me today about yourself? Lord, I thank you that we live in a place and a church that we come, and it's not just come and listen to a lecture, but it's come and listen to God's word. Lord, I pray that you would give us hearts to hear today and and minds to understand. And Lord, I pray that you would draw each of us to you. And we ask this in your holy and perfect name. Amen. All right, here we go. Have you ever had a conversation with somebody about the Bible? You ever have a conversation with somebody, and in response to something that you have said, the other person says something like this. They They say, well, that's good, but that's just your interpretation of what the Bible says. You guys ever had that kind of conversation? You know, they say, well, that's how you understand it, but, but I, I interpret the Bible differently than you do. And it's funny how we think the Bible is all about our interpretations. I mean, but we don't ask other people how they interpret other books, do we? I mean, the danger in trying to interpret things on our own is we often become misguided in that interpretation. I remember... Uh, a couple years ago, you guys remember when there was the Chilean miners that were trapped in the bottom of the mine? And I remember having a conversation with a, with a, with a young boy about these miners and, and these, the, these miners trapped in the bottom of the mine. And the young boy became angry and he's like, man, I don't know why they would let that happen. I don't know why they would put him in such a dangerous place. I'm like, what? And he goes, yeah, I don't know why they would let those students go on a field trip to the bottom of the mine. Well interpretation is the key. So he thought minors meant young people still in school, and his interpretation was different than the reality. His interpretation was different. Um, Let me tell you another example of how a correct interpretation is important. How many of you guys are into poetry in here? You might remember America's most famous poem. Anybody know what poem that is? Robert Frost. Anybody recognize that? Uh, the road not taken. See, every remember, everybody remembers this poem because of this line. It says, I took the road less traveled by, and that has made all the difference in the world. You, you guys have all seen that, right? I mean, you go to a high school graduation or a college graduation, and undoubtedly somebody's going to say that line. I mean, you go to Hallmark, and there's a section of the road less traveled section of cards. You know what I mean? This line is recited all over the place. But again, interpretation is important because here frost isn't making the case for the low for the road less traveled in fact in the second stanza of this poem he clarifies that both roads were actually worn the same so not one of the roads was less traveled they were actually worn the same and in fact frost himself said that when he was writing this he was mocking a friend of his who had hesitancy over thinking all these big deals all this putting all these big thoughts into pretty simple, mundane decisions. You see, the nature of this poem isn't that there is a road less traveled, but that there is a fork in the road with two choices, the path you take and the path you don't. And chances are, as you travel down the path that you take, you may think back to that moment when you made that decision, and you may wonder what the other path looked like. The poem isn't even about taking the less traveled road. Yet that's what our interpretation of it. So interpretation is important. And what's crazier in regards to the Bible, people come up with all sorts of crazy ideas and interpretations. People take whatever meaning they want to and they, interpretate, they interpret the Bible into whatever way it suits them or makes them feel comfortable or makes them justified for the way that they live. 
And that's why there are a number of well-meaning people in the world who say, God is love, and God loves everybody, and that becomes their rallying cry, and that's all you ever hear out about them. And it's true, God is love. But again, it's all about interpretation. Because what about the parts of the Bible that say God is just? What about the parts of the Bible that say God is holy and righteous? See, you can't just interpret what you want to interpret out of the Bible. So when we say here at Restoration Church that we're people of the Bible, we take the Bible seriously, it means that we work hard to understand the words of the Bible and to see what God wants us to see in them and not what we want to see in it. There are two different times in the Bible when Jesus was teaching and preaching to people, and he addressed this issue on how to interpret the Bible. What he actually said is actually pretty, pretty shocking. What he said, the first reference is in the middle of Jesus' most famous sermon called the Sermon on the Mount, found in Matthew chapter 5. And Jesus was in the middle of saying some really powerful, profound stuff. And he includes this statement in verse 17. He says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. He says, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus is saying, don't think that I've come to the earth to destroy the Bible. And just because I've come, the Bible isn't relevant anymore. He said, no, I came to fulfill what you read in here. I came to fulfill it. Can you imagine if you were sitting in the crowd and you heard this preacher say that to you? I mean, you hear this sermon and the preacher says, if you want to understand the Bible, you just have to see me in it. You'd probably think, what the heck? You're a freak. And when it, and Jesus makes this claim again, even more clearly after his resurrection. In Luke chapter 24, Jesus, he runs after his resurrection, he runs into these two guys who are headed to a town called Emmaus. And as they are walking, Jesus starts walking with them. As they are walking, uh, the conversation turns to the men saying, we're having a hard time understanding the scriptures. We're having a hard time understanding the Bible. And Luke chapter 24 verse 27 says, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he being Jesus, interpreted them to them in all the scriptures and things concerning himself. Jesus goes through the Bible with these two guys and shows them how everything in the Bible, all of the stories, all of the people, all of the events, all of the miracles, all of the prophecies, all of them were pointing to Jesus. Every one of them. He tells them that if you want to know how to understand the Bible, the way to understand it is to see how it relates to me. You open it up and you read, you have to understand how what you're reading relates to Jesus. I mean, this is a huge claim from Jesus. I mean, I'm not sure of what your background is, but hearing what Jesus is teaching about himself, we're left with two choices. We're left with two choices. The first choice is for us to say Jesus has got to be the most delusional, egotistical person in the entire world. He's delusional. He's, he's, he's a psycho. Or the second choice that we can make is to believe that he is in fact the son of God. He is the author and, author and perfecter of our faith. And he is the savior for everyone in the world. See, if we believe that Jesus is who he said he is, if we believe that Jesus is the son of God, then this whole book, Every, every book, every chapter, every verse, every word is all about Jesus. Number one for us today is the entire Bible is all about Jesus. Now, I'm not sure if you've ever seen this children's storybook Bible before. Anybody ever seen this? This is our kids' favorite storybook Bible. This is actually our second one. The first one we had, the kids destroyed. 
Um, it's a great, I, I love it. I want to read this to you. I want to read part of the first uh, chapter to you. This is, uh, what I love about this book is there are 40 different stories out of the Bible. And I love because in this, as you read the story about Moses, it's going to come back and point to Jesus. Just like the Bible is supposed to do. Every story in this story, Jesus storybook Bible comes back to Jesus. From David to David and Goliath to Moses to Abraham to Peter and Paul. Every story points back to Jesus. So let me read this to you. It says, now some people think the Bible is a book of rules. Telling what you should and shouldn't do. The Bible certainly does have some rules in it. They'll show you how life works best. But the Bible isn't mainly about you and what you should be doing. It's about God and what he's done. Other people think the Bible is a book of heroes showing you people you should copy. Well, the Bible certainly does have some heroes in it, but as you'll soon find out, most of the people in the Bible aren't heroes at all. They make some big mistakes, sometimes on purpose. They get afraid and they run away. And at times, they're downright mean. Now, the Bible isn't a book of rules or a book of heroes. The Bible is most of all a story. It's an adventure story about a young hero who comes from a far country to win back his lost treasure. It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne. He leaves everything to rescue the one he loves. It's the most wonderful of fairy tales that has come true in real life. You see, the best thing about this story is it's true. There are lots of stories in the Bible, but all the stories are telling one big story. The story of how God loves his children and comes to rescue them. And it takes the whole Bible to tell the story. And at the center of the story, there is a baby. Every story in the Bible whispers his name. He is like the missing piece in the puzzle. The piece that makes all the other pieces fit together. And suddenly, you can see a beautiful picture. Isn't that great? That's what our kids, you have the opportunity. This is what your kids can read. To learn all these stories as you go through. They all point back to Jesus. I've got a couple copies of this Bible up here. If you want it, uh, we bought it for about $18. I can ex- put it back into your hands. As a church, we don't sell anything. So it's an $18 donation if you'd like it. But if you've got kids, grandkids, this is a great Bible to put in their hands. See, all of the Bible is about Jesus and the redemption that he provides and extends to every one of us. All of the Bible is about Jesus. And until we understand that, we won't fully understand the Bible. So when it comes to the book of Jonah, we can read it, and we can learn a lot of good things from the book of Jonah. It's really a great story. And we can learn a lot of lessons about obedience, and we can learn about God's grace and mercy, and we can learn all these different things about Jonah, and that's good and grand. But what's more important for us as we look at the book of Jonah is to understand how it relates to Jesus and what Jesus has to say about it. So as we look back at our text of, uh, of Luke chapter 11, as we look at our text, I want to give you a background on where Luke chapter 11 picks up. Jesus is, is there and he's talking to some scribes and some Pharisees and some really religious people of the day. And they said in verse 16, they said, Jesus, uh, they said, show us, they wanted to test Jesus. So they said, Jesus, show us a sign. Jesus, give us a sign that you are who you say you are. Prove it. They say, God, if you're, how many of you guys have ever done this? I mean, this seem, kind of seems like a legitimate thing, right? Maybe you're going through a hard time. Maybe, maybe you're sitting there and you're saying, you know, I just, is God real? Is he really there? And you, you say, God, you know, show, if you're real, show me. God, if you're real, give me a sign. If you're real, just prove it to me and I will follow you. 
Well, this seems legitimate, right? Uh, seems like something that most people would do. Uh, do something and prove to me you're there. So why does Jesus respond by calling them, in verse 29, an evil generation? There's a parallel uh, story. Uh, Matthew tells this same story in Matthew chapter 12. And he calls it not just an evil generation, but an evil and adulterous generation. So the question has to be asked, if all they did was ask Jesus, hey, show me a sign. Show me you're real. Why would, they, why would Jesus call them an evil and adulterous generation? Well, realize this. If, if we read through the book of Luke, Jesus has already been, been performing miracle after miracle after miracle before these people. I mean, in chapter 4, Jesus drove out an evil spirit in the synagogue. Then he healed Peter's mother-in-law. In chapter 5, Jesus healed a man with leprosy. And then he healed a man who, who was paralyzed. In chapter 7, Jesus raises a widow's son from the dead. He calms the storm. He heals a guy that was controlled by demons. He heals a woman with a, with a blood issue. Uh, then he raises Jairus' daughter from the, from the dead. In chapter 9, Jesus miraculously feeds over 5,000 people. See, what more of a sign could these people want from him? They've seen Jesus do all these miracles, and, and what more could they want from him? So Jesus here is calling them an evil generation. And you know, Jesus could have, he could have just left it at that. He could have just said, you know, these people are evil and adulterous, and that's all I'm going to say, and I'm going to move on. But he is always full of grace and love. So even though he says, you know what, you're an evil and adulterous generation, I'm going to give you a sign anyways. He says, I'm going to give you a sign anyways, but it's not the kind of sign that they were looking for. Verse 29 says, no sign will be given to you, given to this generation, except the sign of Jonah. No sign will be given to you, except the sign of Jonah. In Matthew 12, in Matthew's story, uh, Matthew's telling the story, he says, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man, who is Jesus, be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. See, Jesus, as he often does, he's pointing the scribes and the Pharisees back to his word. He's pointing them back to his word right here. Pointing them back to the book of Jonah. See, Jesus points them back to his word because he wants them to rely on his word for truth rather than their own experience. And it's the same thing with us. Jesus wants us, God wants us to rely on his word for truth and not just base it off on our experiences. So he points back to Jonah and says, what happened with Jonah and the great fish? That's like what's going to happen to me. And it will be a sign from God to everybody. Remember what happened with Jonah? Jonah ran away from God. God told him to, do, to go to Nineveh. And Jonah said, no, nah, I don't want to do that. And he ran away. And he got on a ship, boarded, uh, ship headed for Tarshish. And on the ship, there's a storm comes. And, and, and it looks like the ship's going to go down. It's really bad. And to the sailors, Jonah says, you know, the only way to save yourselves is to throw me overboard. So the sailors, they say, all right, well, I guess we got no other choice. They pick Jonah up and they throw Jonah overboard. And Jonah begins sinking and drowning. And you think that's the end of Jonah. But God sends a great fish. And this great fish swallows Jonah up whole. And Jonah lives for three days in the belly of the whale. And after three days, that spit, or that, uh, after three days, that great fish spits and vomits Jonah up onto dry land. And then Jonah is able to go and do what he was supposed to do to preach to the people of Nineveh so they can be saved. And see, Jesus is looking forward to a time when he is going to die on the cross and rise again. 
See, he looks backward to what happened with Jonah, and he's looking forward to what's happening to him. He said, that's the same thing. See, Jesus says, I'm going to give my life, and I'm going to to be in darkness for three days. And after three days, I'm going to come back to life, and I'm going to preach, and, and there will be many people who will repent and be saved, just like Jonah went, and many people repented and were saved because of Jonah's word. See, number two for us this morning is the sign of Jonah is the resurrection of Jesus. The sign of Jonah is the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. See, the sign of Jonah is royal proof. It is the ultimate evidence, the greatest sign of the truth of who Jesus is. That he is God's son and the salvation is real. Jesus is making the case that you don't need any other sign. You don't need any other supernatural occurrence. You don't need to see any other miracle. You don't need to see any other miraculous healings. This sign, the sign of Jonah, is the most important sign. And the only thing, the only sign that we need in order to put our faith in him. What Jesus is doing here is he's hanging all of the truth of his whole life in his ministry. He is hanging the whole of Christianity on his resurrection from the dead. You know what the struggle for the scribes and Pharisees was as to why they wanted to ask Jesus for a sign? It's because they had doubt. Because they doubted. They weren't sure that they could put their faith in him. They weren't sure that he was who he said he was. They were looking for a greater sign so they could remove their doubts of their own, of the unknown. I mean, how many of you, don't raise your hand, how many of you can say, man, I've had a doubt about God. Yeah, I've had doubts inside of me. I've wondered if this is really true. And you might wish that God would show you some sort of sign so that you could fully believe. God, if you would just write my name in the sky in the clouds, I would know that you're real. You know where doubt comes from? Doubt comes from fear. Doubt comes from fear. Fear of the unknown. Fear of life turning out, not turning out well. Fear of the wrong thing happening. Fear that our loved ones will not live right. Fear of darkness, fear of death. For Robert Frost, that fear of standing on the fork in the road and the fear of making a choice to go down one path and not being able to make the right one and fear of not being able to go back to take the other path. Do you recognize doubt and fear in your own life? Do you recognize the doubt and the fear in your own life? The doubt and the fear that you don't know what's going to happen next. The doubt and the fear that you can't determine how things will play out. This doubt and this fear leads to darkness. And this fear can lead to crippling a person. Crippling them so they can't live. Prevents you from living. See, what is amazing about Jesus hanging Christianity on his resurrection from the dead is that there is life in that resurrection. There is life in his resurrection. You see, the, res- the resurrection of Jesus isn't just an entry ticket into heaven when you die. The resurrection of Jesus isn't just your get-out-of-hell-free card. Although, God certainly extends, uh, through the power of God, he extends eternal life to us. See, Jesus' resurrection is the life-giving power of God that ministers to us here and now. 
It gives us life today. It frees us from doubt. It frees us from fear. It frees us from addiction. It frees us. The resurrection of Jesus, the fact that he is alive again today, gives us freedom. We are told in the Bible that we're to put our faith in Jesus and put put our faith in his resurrection. Do you know what faith means? Faith isn't some blind leap in the dark, hoping that everything works out. It's not some quarterback heaving a football 50 yards down the field, closing his eyes and hoping somebody's going to catch it. That's not faith. Faith means trust. It means deep, genuine, solid trust. It's the kind of trust that you and I can say, we go to bed and we trust that the world's going to keep spinning in, in its cycle and the sun's going to come up in the morning. Every one of us has a trust that the sun will come up in the morning. That is what faith is, having a complete trust in God. And this is why the resurrection gives us life right here and right now. This is why Jesus said this is the greatest miracle that we should be looking for. Because Jesus' resurrection goes to the heart of all of our doubt and all of our fear. Jesus' resurrection is a sign that he is greater than the worst this world had to offer. The worst the world could do to him was to kill him. And Jesus said, I conquered death. I conquered it. I am greater than anything this world can, can, can throw at you. You see, Jesus' resurrection is a sign that he is greater than the worst the world has to offer. It's a sign that he is greater than all darkness and greater than all death. Through his resurrection, he secures new life for us now. And he offers it for those who will put their faith in him, who will trust in him. I know that there are some of us in here today with heavy hearts. We're facing difficulties and doubts and fear of the unknown and what's coming next. And my prayer today is that you would call out for the power of Jesus and his resurrected life. That you would experience his freedom and his life today. My prayer is that you would surrender your doubts and your fears to our trustworthy Savior. My prayer is that you would put your complete faith and trust that Jesus is real. That he is true. That he is alive. And that he knows and he cares for you. And that we can say with absolute trust that God's not dead. He's surely alive. And he loves and he cares for every one of us in here today. Because that is a God that we can trust. That is a God that we can put our faith in. Ah, we gotta, we got to move on. Verse 31 and verse 32 says, The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. And the men of Nineveh will will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented of the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. See, these are some chilling words for the scribes and the Pharisees. Jesus is saying that there will be two witnesses or judges that will stand up at the judgment, and condemn those who are listening to Jesus speak. The first is the queen, of she- uh, the queen of the South, the Queen of Sheba, who appears in 1 Kings chapter 10, earlier in the Bible. She hears of Solomon's great wisdom and Solomon's great reign over the nation of Israel. And so she travels all the way to Israel so she can verify the truth of what she has heard. And when she found King Solomon, when she heard the wisdom that he had received from God, when she heard the wisdom of God through Solomon. 
Her response was one of praise and blessing to the one true God. And the second set of witnesses will be the men of Nineveh, the people who were wicked and vicious and horrible and sinful, but responded with repentance when they heard God's word through the prophet Jonah. See, number three for us this morning is God's word is greater than any sign. See, Jesus is making a statement as here. He's saying the problem with sign-seeking is that it does not find the word of God to be enough. And thus, it, it demands an ongoing stream of, of miraculous works to continue. The signs become the gasoline that goes in the car to keep the car going. And, the, and if you are so stuck on signs, you have to have the signs in order to keep your faith going and to keep your faith alive. You see, the scribes and the Pharisees, they were putting God to the test by not believing his words, by not believing the word of God that Jesus was speaking to them, and by assisting that Jesus give them more works, more, 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 more miracles, more signs. See, these religious folks were all about the supernatural, yet they failed to see the word of God right in front of them. Contrast these scribes and Pharisees with the Ninevites who believed God on the basis of much less evidence. They believed God's word. And here Jesus says that they will stand as a, as a judge over these religious folks who are asking for a sign. See, God is great and certainly capable of doing amazing miracles in our mix. And we've seen God do some, some, some crazy, amazing things. But our faith in Jesus shouldn't be based on these miracles. Our faith must be based on his word his love letter that he has given to us. One last thing I want to point out before we close this morning. Comes back to the scribes and the Pharisees asking, asking Jesus for another sign after Jesus has already done all these things in their mix. Look at verses 34 and 35. They say, your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful lest the light in you be darkness. You see, number four for us is their problem was that they were spiritually blind. The scribes and the Pharisees, their problem wasn't sin. Their problem was that they were spiritually blind to the things of God. They're spiritually blind. First or Second Corinthians chapter four says that the God of this age, meaning Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Jesus, who is the image of God. They were blind to be able to see. They couldn't see Jesus. They could see the miracles and say, man, Jesus does all these really cool things. But their eyes, their spiritual eyes were blind to who he really was. So I'm not sure if you ever talked to somebody who, who before has said things like this. Man, if I could just see Jesus, if he would just do a miracle or if he would just do a sign, man, then of course I'd believe. Of course I would. No, I don't think so. See, the reason that the scribes and Pharisees have not believed this far isn't because God had not provided them sufficient evidence. God had done crazy, amazing things in, in their midst. They'd seen Jesus perform these miracles, yet they were still blind to who he was. It's because they were spiritually blind. They needed their eyes open to the truth of who he was. See, the problem was in their hearts. They were blind. Their hearts were blind to see Jesus for who he is. And that's why the scribes and the Pharisees were asking for another sign. Show us more. You've shown us so much already, but we need to see more because we're blind to it. They doubted 
and ask for more. The truth was right before them, but they were blind to see it. I want to close with a quote, with a quote from the old book called Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners by an old Christian author by the name of John Bunyan. And he wrote this. He said, one day I was walking in the field and this sentence from God's word filled my mind. Thy righteousness is in heaven. Thy righteousness is in heaven. And with the eyes of my soul, I saw Jesus at God the Father's right hand. And I said, there is my righteousness. So wherever I was, whatever I was doing, God would not say to me, where is your righteousness? For my righteousness was Jesus, who was always right before God. I saw that it is not my good deeds that make my righteousness better. And it's not my bad deeds that make my righteousness worse. For my righteousness is Christ. And my chains fell off indeed. See, John's Bunyan's spiritual eyes were open. His spiritual eyes were open and he could finally see. We need to pray that God would open our eyes to who he truly is. Not that God would show more signs to us because he's given us everything we need. God may choose to show up in crazy, amazing ways, and we praise God for that. But he has given us everything we need, and we need to pray, God, open my eyes. We need to pray for our city. God, open their eyes. God, you don't need to show up and write. Trust Jesus in the skies of Yakima for people to get saved. God's already given us everything we need to do to proclaim him to the city of Yakima. We need to pray that their eyes would be open to see him for who he is. As the worship team comes up, I want to give us an opportunity this morning to respond to God's word. See, God's word isn't something that we're supposed to come and learn like in a classroom where you sit and get the facts and then you try and pass the test if you remember enough. God's word is more like a science lab where we must do something with what we've just heard. So this morning, we're going to offer you two ways to respond to God's word this morning. The first is to call out to God in prayer. Maybe you identify with the feelings of fear and doubt and darkness and trial and hard times and a heavy burden and a heavy weight that you can't carry on your own. I'd encourage you to put your faith in Jesus and in his resurrection and experience that freedom, experience his life today. Not just a get-out-of-hell-free card, but experience life today. My prayer is that you would receive Jesus, that you would know that he is good and loving and that he will carry you through the hardest times. Maybe you've been waiting for a sign, waiting for God to write your name in the sky so you'd believe. He has done that 2,000 years ago on a cross and through an empty grave. And I pray that our eyes would be, wouldn't be blinded, that God would fill us with light so we could see Jesus. If you'd like to talk with me or another counselor this morning, during the next couple of worship songs, I'm going to be up in the front row. If you'd like to come and talk or pray with one of us, have one of us pray for you, we'd love to do that. We'd love to pray for you. The second way to respond this morning is through worship. It is good news that God opens our eyes and that we can receive salvation, that we can receive life through Jesus. That's good news. It is good news. And good news makes us want to sing. 
So let's take this time and let's just sing to Jesus. Let's close our eyes and let's worship him for who he is and what he has done. Let's pray.